tonight's message is in line with our financial one thing, but it's also in line with all three of the focuses for this year. And the three focuses for this year are finances, family, and friendship. And we're talking about going back to the blessing in each of those three realms. Tonight's message is going to be foundation for, foundational for all of them. It's going to apply to all of them because we're going to be talking about how to go back to the blessing in regards to your relationship with God. These monitors are way too hot. They need to be turned down. Just the monitors. Um, and how to go back to the blessing in regard to your relationship with God. That is, God, how many of you have areas in your life where there are unfulfilled promises? I'm talking about stuff that God has laid on your heart that he wants to do for you that you have not yet seen him do. If that's you, just lift your hand right where you are. You've got unfulfilled promises. What I want to talk about tonight is how God moves us further, deeper into the realm of fulfillment. He establishes his promises with us as we come to faith. But he moves us beyond faith into the realm of fulfillment. Because faith faith can last forever. Right? I mean, the ancients died without ever seeing the promises fulfilled on their behalf. But they died in faith, believing. But God wants to, br- to move us from the place of faith. Faith establishes us in the promise. But God wants to move us from faith, by faith, into the place that he calls covenant. And tonight, I'm going to come out of two places of scripture. First, we're going to talk through Genesis chapter 15. But before that, the verse that I want to center this on is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. And by the way, the title of my message is The Furnace and the Torch. The Furnace and the Torch. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may inherit what is promised. You have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may inherit what is promised. And so this is the order. You do the will of God, and after you've done the will of God, you inherit what is promised. How long after? Well, that's up to God. But what's up to you is that you make sure that you are doing the will of God. Now, when we're talking about doing the will of God, the scripture is very clear about what it means to do the will of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. When we're talking about doing the will of God, we're talking about offering, giving Him an offering. From a, scriptural, from a biblical perspective, doing the will of God has to do with bringing Him an offering that is acceptable to him or pleasing to him. It is God's will that we bring him an offering that is pleasing to him. Keep that in mind. Now we go to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham just got done whooping up on the five kings, bringing back Lot and all of their possessions back, breaking bread in the valley with the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and enjoying wine and bread with him, and giving him a tenth of all of his possessions. In chapter 15, verse 1, the Lord says to Abram, Do not be afraid. Scripture says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your very great reward. Fear not, I'm your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, But what can you give me, though? And we talked about this before. I mean, imagine it. God says, I'm your very great reward. And Abraham says, but what can you give me? Seeing that I go childless. What do you mean you're my very great reward when nothing has worked out in my life? When the things that should have gone right in my life have gone wrong in my life? What kind of reward do I have when everybody in my company is getting promotions, but I'm getting passed by? When everybody's reviews look good except mine? What do you mean you're my very great reward when everyone's passing the test, but I'm failing the test? My, see, we all have this idea that there should be benefits to our relationship with God that should be tangible, that should be practical, that should be seen in the natural, and we're right about that. 
Your walk with God is not supposed to simply yield spiritual benefits. It should also yield natural benefits. Why? Because God is not just the God of the spirit realm. He's the God of heaven and earth. Which means He's God in the natural as much as He's God in the spiritual. So you should see things change in your natural life. But so many of us have seen We've gone through seasons of intense spirituality that have yielded almost no fruit in the natural. Have you ever been there? Where you increased your prayer time and doubled it and your marriage didn't get any better. Where you started getting up early to study the word every morning, but you did worse and worse on your job. This was Abraham's experience for years and years and years. And God keeps giving him these promises. And he says, finally, he says, but what can you give me, though? I mean, are you actually going to give me something? Or are you just going to keep making promises to me? And God says, come with me. And he takes him outside and he says, look up at the stars. Count them. He says, God, are you serious? He says, yeah, I'm serious. Count them. He goes, I don't think you, I don't think I can. And he goes, that's how your kids are going to be. So shall your offspring be. So shall your descendants be uncountable. Right now you're completely barren and you can't even bring one son into the world. But I'm telling you that when I begin to fulfill the promise, things are going to move so quickly that you won't even be able to number your offspring in the earth. So shall your offspring be. And Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 is the most important verse of scripture in the entire Old Testament. And foundational for everything that is written in the New Testament. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him towards for righteousness. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. Abram looked up and tried to count the stars and said, God, I can't count them. And God said, this is how your offspring is going to be. And Abram said, I believe you. And God said, you're righteous. Everything Paul teaches us about righteousness and all righteousness is, is being right with God. That's all righteousness is, is that you can stand before God and you've been brought into right relationship with him. God says, Abram, you are now in right relationship with me because you simply believed me. I believe you. And God said, you're righteous. But then you get to verse seven and it's, it seems like when you read verse six, it seems like it's, it's done. It's sealed, right? He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Then you get to verse 7 and the Lord says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And verse 8, but Abram says, O Lord God, how will I know that I'll possess it? Wait a minute, a second, you go, a second ago you said, I believe you. But now you're saying, but I need some proof. There's this tension between verse 6 and verse 8. And what I want you to see tonight is that when you're in the place of faith, you believe. But there's no timetable on it. You believe. I'm standing in faith. This will be. But there's absolutely no timetable on it. And when there's no timetable on it, it feels precarious. It's like I'm walking on this tightrope called faith. Lord, I believe. I believe I can take another step because I believe. But really, Abram was at this place of insecurity where he says, I need my faith needs something tangible to hold on to. And when we come to that place where our faith needs something tangible to hold on to, God is ready to move us to the next level in our relationship with him. The foundational level is called faith, but the level above faith is called covenant. So when Abram says, how will I know that I will inherit it? He's not saying, God, I don't believe you anymore. The faith is there. But what he's saying is now give me something to hold on to. Give me something tangible, some place where I can stand. Give me a marker in the earth where I can stand and say, because of this spot, I know that I will inherit it. Give me a token or something. Give me a coin. Give me a certificate, something, you know. Give me a coupon, you know, an inheritance coupon with this. You've redeemed this coupon for the whole land. It's all yours, right? Give me something, God. Give me a check, even if it's no date on the check. You know what I mean? Just, you know, you want me to post date it? I I won't. I'll hold on to it till next year. I'll hold on to it. You tell me when to put the date, but just let me hold the check. 
You know, something, some stocks, some bonds. I want something to hold on to. And actually, God was pleased with that, not displeased. God led him to that place where his faith began to demand something tangible, something that he could hold on to, because it's at the very place where your faith demands something tangible that God invites you into the realm that we call sacrifice. And God says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, a three-year-old ram, a pigeon and a dove. Cut them in half and lay them out. And Abram knew exactly what was about to happen. In the ancient world, there was a thing called covenant. It was not the same thing as a contractual agreement. Because a contract is temporary. A covenant is for life. A contract can be broken, but a covenant cannot be broken. Once you make a covenant, your life is on the line. And in the ancient world, when two individuals cut a covenant, and literally, the word is not make a covenant. In the Hebrew, it's cut a covenant. Because a covenant is not made until two animals, until an animal has been sawed into two pieces. Now watch this. God says to Abram, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, and a three-year-old lamb. Cut them in half and lay out their pieces. And Abram, the minute God says that, Abram gets excited. I'm getting ready to make a covenant with God. God is getting ready. Abram immediately knows, oh my, oh my God. God is inviting me to make covenant. We're about to do this thing. Abram knew that this thing was about to go to another level. That he was about to have more than promises. He was about to have more than assurance from God. Verbal assurance. He was about to have something tangible. He was about to have a blood covenant with God that God could never break. God was getting ready to obligate himself to fulfill the promise. He was, God was getting, listen to this, God was getting ready to hold himself accountable to the promises that he had made Abraham. And so Abram goes and gets these sacrifices, cuts them up, lays the pieces and waits early in the morning. He gets up early the next morning and he cuts those animals. He lays out those pieces and he waits. He's thinking in five minutes, God's going to come and an hour goes by and he's still waiting. And another hour goes by and he realizes I didn't eat this morning. I thought this thing would be over by about 10 AM. I got other appointments and Sarah comes out on the deck. She goes, Abram, I got your coffee. And he's looking at the sacrifices. He's looking at the coffee. Hold it. I'll, I'll be right there. Because any minute, God's going to come. We're going to get this covenant done. It's over. We're, I'm out. I'm out, right? Come on, God. I'm on, a, I'm on a clock. I got things to do. I got places to go. And he's waiting. 11 o'clock. Abram, your coffee's getting... You know what? Forget the coffee. Forget the coffee. I got I to gotta stay by my sacrifice. Are you sure? Well, I'm making barbecue chicken for lunch. (laughs) And now he's standing out there in the Middle East, in the hot sun, watching these dead animals decay before his very eyes, watching his sacrifice decay. You know, when you set out a sacrifice before the Lord, the first thing that happens is that thing seems to decay before your very eyes. I mean, when you first set it out, it's an exhilarating experience. You know, you first set that prayer time. You say, I'm going to get up and pray at seven o'clock in the morning, every single morning. And the first morning you get up and the wind blows and the tears fall and the oil flows. And you open up the scripture and revelation jumps off the page. And oh, shandamaboko sahaha. You're having a wonderful time. Everything's wonderful, right? But about 14 days, maybe three days into it for some. All of a sudden, your sacrifice seems to decay because no revelation is jumping off the page at you. And now you're just tired. Your sacrifice begins to decay before your eyes at the very place where it feels like your sacrifice is doing you no good. Nothing's happening. Why am I standing out here looking at this dead stuff? Why am I? Because your sacrifice is something that you have to put to death. Now watch this. That's why the scripture says you can only make a sacrifice to God by faith. Remember in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, 
Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. Acceptable meaning pleasing. What is pleasing to God? There's only one thing that's pleasing to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So your offering doesn't even begin to please God if it's not an offering of faith. And we see that clearly in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better offering. Why was Abel's offering a better offering? Because Cain brought some fruit, but Abel brought life. Abel offered to God life, and God said, that's a better offering because you're offering life. And it takes some faith to take a living thing and to put it to death before God. Like to take an hour of your sleep in the morning and put it to death and lay it on an altar before God. It takes some faith to do that. It takes some faith. And this is the thing. God's not looking for an animal sacrifice anymore. Romans 12, 1, you present your body to God. God wants you to be the offering. Literally, you're laying yourself, you're sacrificing your time, your money. How about your tithe? When you've been given your tithe for, for years and there's no financial blessings, you've been given your tithe and all of a sudden the sacrifice begins to decay before your very eyes because you've been giving it and giving it and giving it and no good seems to come out of it. And it gets worse before it gets better. Because now it's midday, and not only does he have these rotting carcasses in front of him, but it says the vultures came down to eat the carcasses. Now he's got to beat the buzzards. He, he has to pick up a club and get out at you buzzards. What are the buzzards? The temptations of the enemy that attack you at the very place where your sacrifice begins to decay. See, the enemy didn't bring any temptation to you the first morning you got up to pray. He waited till the seventh morning when you were already disillusioned with the thing, when you already felt like no good came out of it, when you already felt like all I'm doing is losing sleep and I'm just beating the air and this just feels like work to me. Nothing is happening. And that's the place where the vultures begin to swoop. And the vultures, they're things that feed on death. The temptations of the enemy that want to draw you into a place of death. You can start out in that place of making covenant with God. But if you don't stand watch over your sacrifice, you can begin in the spirit and end up so deep in the flesh that you didn't know how you got there. Because Abraham never had to face a buzzard until he made a decision to make sacrifice with God. And you find yourself in the place. I never had to battle these temptations before I started praying. Maybe I shouldn't pray. So Abram's got Sarah standing on the porch with barbecue chicken. It's lunchtime now. So he, he has a choice. I can stand here and fight buzzards to protect my sacrifice, or I can go sit up on the deck with Sarah and eat barbecue chicken and sip, sip mint juleps. <laughs> Sarah and her chicken is looking real good right now. But, but in the back of his mind, he's thinking, but God said he's going to make covenant with me today. So I got to do my part, and my part is to present the sacrifice and then guard it with my life. That's all. That's the only part God asked of me. Present the sacrifice. Now, Abram's thinking God's going to ask more of me later. Because covenant, there's always, in a covenant, it's a two-way agreement. And not only is God going to promise what he's going to do, but Abram's going to promise what he's going to do. So the whole day he's thinking, what's God going to ask of me? Oh, see, you came to Christ, you got saved, and all we told you was that it was all about what Jesus did for you. But we didn't tell you that he expects something from you, too. We saved that for the second week. <laughs> we want to get you in this thing first. Make you feel real good. And then come back and say, oh, by the way, it's going to cost you everything. <laughs> Don't leave. I promise. I promise. It's going to get better. So Abram is expecting, and actually in the ancient world, actually, in the ancient world, covenants were always made, most of the time they were made between a lesser and a greater. Yes. And when the lesser made covenant with the greater, the lesser was the only one who passed through the pieces. They would lay the pieces, they would lay the halves out in two, and the lesser would pass between the pieces stating the terms of the covenant. And literally, when the, when the person passes between the pieces, what they're saying is, if I ever break this covenant, may it be to me as it was to this animal. So Abram's a little nervous, too. Because he doesn't know what God's terms are. 
He knows that God is going to give him the land and everything, but he doesn't know what God's terms are. But he knows there's going to be some terms. God is going to come and say, here's some stuff that you've got to do. And so he waits. He's nervous, but he's also excited. Because nobody ever got to make covenant with God before. So I've seen a lot of covenants. I mean, if I got an opportunity to make a covenant with a king in the land, I'd do it in a second. But I get to make covenant with God. And so he waits and he beats back the buzzards and he waits. Late afternoon, still nothing. He must be dehydrated and exhausted. And the more exhausted he gets, the more bold the buzzards get. Why have I been fighting this temptation for months? Why do I have lustful dreams when I fell asleep reading my Bible and worshiping? Does it make any sense to you? Can I just be real? Last night I had a, a lustful dream. Thank God I wasn't, you know, doing it with nobody in the dream. But I almost did in the dream. And even in the dream I'm thinking, this ain't right. What am I doing here in the dream? I'm like, this don't feel right. Something's not right. But you know what was funny? You know how I fell asleep last night? <laughs> I had the worship playing and I had the word over here. And I was, my room was full of the glory of God. If you'd have walked in my room, you'd have got slain in the spirit just walking in. And I had worship going all day long. And then I go to sleep and the devil attacks me in my dreams. How is that? And then I woke up this morning feeling like I had sinned. And I thought, oh, man, Lord, I need to repent. <laughs> then I thought about it. I said, no, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> oh, heck no. No, 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 no. And I went right back to the place I was when I fell asleep. <laughs> Sometimes you think it's a long journey back into the spirit. It's just a moment. But how is it that the vultures attack me? You know why? Because I'm standing watch over my sacrifice. See, the thing you need to understand is that there's a difference between temptation and falling into temptation. Listen to me. There's a difference between being tempted to sin. Don't feel defiled because you were tempted. Feel defiled if you did it. (laughs) Now, I'm, you know, guilt and shame don't do you any good, but it's okay to feel bad. (laughs) Okay? It's okay to say, you know, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Okay? Right? It's okay to say, you know what, I'm going to get myself right now. I'm not going to go that way anymore. But the temptation means that you're standing watch over your sacrifice. Because the temptation doesn't come. The vultures don't come against anyone who's not guarding a sacrifice. You see, and so when those buzzards come, when you're tempted, I found myself, it's funny, last night, I picked up Alethea at 6 o'clock, and we were getting ready to come here for prayer at 7, and we stopped at McDonald's, and I'm getting her some dinner. And all of a sudden, in my mind, I, I took this, this like, um, I took like a 30-minute um, um, vacation from the presence of the Lord. And in my mind, I went back to when I was like 13 years old and some kid at school messed with me. And when I was really 13 years old, I punked out. <laughs> but not this time. <laughs> For about 30 minutes, I got him good. And I woke up into the middle, in the middle of this vain imagination. I said, hold on a second. I'm supposed to be casting down vain imaginations. And every high thing that exalts. I'm supposed to be taking every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I thought, what am I doing here? Kind of like Elijah when he, you know, he goes under the broom tree and then he shows up at the mountain. God says, what are you doing here, man of God? You're not supposed to be here. What are you doing here? And I woke up. I'm like... What have I been, what in the world is my problem? The last 30 minutes, I'm in the flesh. And then I'm like, now I've got to go to prayer meeting. <laughs> you ever gone to prayer meeting just in the flesh? Yeah. You should try it sometime. Actually, <laughs> actually, that's when you really should be going to prayer meeting. Because half of y'all would have just said, you know what, I'm in the flesh, I'm just not going to go. That's why you didn't go. Mm, especially some of y'all that made that three-month commitment to go to prayer meeting and didn't show up. Okay, I'm not going to go there, but (laughs) no guilt and shame. Just feel bad about it. It's okay to feel bad about it. (laughs) 
Fighting the buzzards doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. See, some of you right now are beating off the buzzards and you think that you're in a terrible place. Because the buzzards are coming at you from every direction. You're having to fight all kinds of dead things and you think it's because you're in a terrible place. No, you're not in a terrible place. You're in an awesome place. You stand guard over that sacrifice. You keep beating off the buzzards because God is getting ready to show up. Watch this. The scripture says, late in the evening, after the sun went down, meaning Abram stood out there all day, no food, no water, ancient Middle East, probably 127 degrees out there. I mean, it was hot. And after the sun went down, the scripture says that God put Abram into a deep sleep. He thought God was going to show up and call him to stand at attention. Stand at attention, Abram. Now, here's the terms. But when God came to make covenant with Abram, he put him into a deep sleep. And I believe about 14 chapters earlier, there was somebody else God put into a deep sleep before he did something for him. His name was Adam. And God saw the condition he was in and said, this ain't good. This man needs a woman. There's a few brothers I can think of that are at that place. <laughs> Look at your life and said, that ain't good. That ain't good. It's, it's not good. God looked at Adam and said, this ain't good. This ain't good. He said, come here. And God gave him an anesthetic and put him to sleep. He said, here, swallow this pill. When you wake up, everything will be all right. But it was a little different with Abram. Because he put Adam completely out. But have you ever had one of those anesthetics that like kind of numbed you, but you were still conscious? But you couldn't move? That's what God did to Abram. Because Abraham saw everything that went down while he was out. But he couldn't participate. Some of you are crying out to God in your heart asking how to go deeper in relationship with him. How to go deeper in intimacy with him. And you think the only way to go deeper in intimacy with God is to exert more of your effort. And I'm telling you at the very place where God takes you deeper with him, he takes you beyond your effort. He says, you want to go deeper? Good. Let me put you into a deep sleep. I'm going to put you into a place where you can't participate even in the least bit. And then it says, God came down in two forms, which is interesting. And really, when I read it for years, it didn't make any sense. First, he appeared in a smoking fire pot or a smoking furnace, like a big heater or a stove. And secondly, he appeared in a burning torch, a smoking furnace and a burning torch. And it says, God passed between the pieces. Interesting, isn't it? That in the ancient Near East, the lesser always passed between the pieces. The lesser passed between the pieces saying, if I don't live up to my covenant to you, you can cut me in half. The greater never passed between the pieces. You just get the honor of being in my service. But God says, Abram, I'm going to cut covenant with you. And Abram says, great. And God says, go to sleep. (laughs) And God passes between the pieces. What is God saying? God is saying, if I don't live up to this covenant I'm making with you, you can cut me in half. And if you don't live up to this covenant that I'm making with me, you can cut me in half. You hear what God is saying? God is saying, if I break the covenant, cut me in half. And if you break the covenant, cut me in half. And now all of a sudden we understand what it means when Jesus sat in the upper room with his disciples and took bread and broke it in half. And says, this is my body, which is broken for you. I've come because my father made a promise to Abram that if you broke his covenant, that you could cut me in half. This is my body. Mm-hmm. 
God says, Abram, I'm taking personal responsibility for your obedience. So you got to know that God takes personal responsibility for your obedience. He does require your cooperation. But what is your cooperation? Your cooperation is present your offering and guard it. It's not covenant keeping. You're not keeping your covenant with God. God's keeping his covenant with you. You're simply laying out the pieces and guarding it, meaning that when God wants to make covenant with you, He simply asks you to bring Him an offering. He says, bring me an offering. Whatever it is, He speaks to you. Bring it to me. I want this. And it's, it's you know, we all expect God to ask us for the, the worst thing He possibly could ask. I talk to some believers who think God's going to ask them for one of their kids. One of your children are going to die. What kind of God do you think we serve? You think he wants one of your kids? You don't even want your kids. Why would God want them? (laughs) Nobody wants your (laughs) kids. God looks at your kids, one of them? No, you keep all of them. That's on you, my brother. (laughs) You're the one that did it, not me. That's wrong. God loves your kids. But he's not trying to kill them. As the price for taking you deeper in him. That's not the way he rolls. He says, just give me yourself. He wants you. He wants you. Yes, you bring him your kids in the sense of, of teaching them how to worship. Raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Yes, he wants your kids in that sense. But not to kill them, to heal them. To teach them, to raise them up. To free them, just to make his covenant with them. But when it comes to covenant keeping, God is the covenant maker and God is the covenant keeper. He says, Abram, I'm coming to you in a smoking furnace and in a burning torch. I'm taking you into the smoking furnace and I'm taking you into the burning torch, but all you got to do is lay out the pieces and beat off the buzzards and stand guard over your sacrifice. I'm taking you beyond the place where I just believe. I just believe. A lot of believers are, oh, just believe. I just believe. Not willing to make any sacrifice before God, but I just believe. And God says, yes, just believe, because it's not done by you, it's done by me. But if you want to enter into a deeper place of intimacy with you, then you're going to add some works to your faith. You're going to make sacrifice. You're going to give as well. But know that nothing you give earns anything. I'm the covenant maker. All I'm asking you to do is lay out the pieces. I'll pass between them. The furnace. Abram waits all day before the Lord. And what comes in the evening? The furnace. The smoking furnace. The difference between a torch, a burning torch, and a smoking furnace is that in a smoking furnace, the fire's on the inside. It's invisible. But with a burning torch, the fire's on the outside. It's visible. It represents two different levels of your walk with Christ, the invisible and the visible. The personal and the corporate. Abram, first thing I'm going to reveal to you when I come to you in covenant is that I'm bringing you, I'm bringing you into the smoking furnace. That is, God wants to take you into the, to a place of such deep intimacy with Him that it's private, it's secret, it's not for anybody to see, it's not for anybody to know. And when God takes you into the furnace, He takes you to the place where no matter how deep you go in the furnace, you're not going to see anything external happen as a result of it. You wonder why you get a word from God in the furnace and then you come out and you tell it to somebody and they don't fall out. They just go, oh, okay. That's not a torch word, it's a a furnace word. Meaning it was just you and God in the deep place. It wasn't for you to go out and give to everybody. It wasn't for you to preach a sermon about it. It wasn't wasn't for anybody but you. Do you know I have whole books, whole whole journals full of stuff that God gave me in the furnace that I never gave to you. Why? Because it ain't for you. As a matter of fact, if I gave it to you, you'd be like, okay. All right, okay. But the torch, 
The torch, it's like a lamp that's set on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It's like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The torch is for everyone to see. Is let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven when they see your good works. When He takes you from the furnace to the torch, He causes you to go deeper in your intimacy with Him in the private place, but also to, go, to become more powerful in your witness to him in the public place. And we need both. And I want to give you six layers to your intimacy with God. Because what I'm, I'm sensing that many of us in this place want to go deeper in intimacy with God. But if you've you got to understand that there's some very clear layers. And, and the furnace, there's three components to the furnace. And there's three components to the torch. And you've got to understand how to give your attention to all of them. Watch this. The first layer is what I call worship. And what I mean by worship is simply giving your attention, your internal attention. We're talking furnace now. Furnace worship is where in the depths of your heart, in the secret place where no one can see or hear, you're giving your attention to the Father, to the adoration of God. Where Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That melody in your heart to the Lord. You know why I don't listen to secular music very much? Every once in a while, here and there. But I don't make it a habit. You know why? Not because it's a sin. When I was growing up, it was a sin. If you listened to any secular song, you went to hell. If Jesus came when you were listening to that, it'd be, oh, it'd be lights out. That's what they used to say, too. It's funny, I told you about Pastor Daniels. He was at my house with a bunch of young people a few weeks ago. And we were, we were singing old Disney songs. And we got to in the circle of light. And his hands went up. <laughs> and, he, he, and his eyes started fluttering. You know he was in the spirit. And I said, Bishop, it's not, a, it's not a worship song. And everybody fell out laughing. But you know what? To him it was a worship song. Because he wasn't even hearing the words. He didn't care about the words. Everything moves that man to worship. Any music, you just hear any tune, he's hallelujah. Because he's in another place, he's not even listening to you. It doesn't take much at all to stimulate that melody in his heart to the Lord. He just hears music, that belongs to God. And he begins to give it to the Lord, whatever it is. He's probably thinking the circle of life, that's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's the circle of life. <laughs> you know? And so allowing, you know, I, tr I try to play worship music at all times. You know, my, my daughter has had worship music playing in her room since my wife conceived her. It's nonstop. For five, for five years and four months now, five years and three months now, my daughter has had constant worship music playing in her room. Why? Because we want her to learn how to allow that melody to the Lord to constantly turn in her heart. I want that baseline level of worship to God, adoration, you know, you know, um, I really, uh, can I just, that's been a lot of confessions tonight, but I'm going to give you one more confession. <laughs> you know why I don't listen to rap music? Like, I mean, I'm talking about like hardcore, like gangster rap music. You know why I don't listen to it? I like it too much. I mean, now, but see, that's the thing. Now, if it wasn't full of profanities and stuff that I hate, I would be addicted to it. But the problem is... When I listened, if I, if I were to go home tonight and listen to it, the hook and the beat and the melody, all of that, it would stick in my heart because I just love it. It's like, uh, uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? It's yes. like it does some, maybe it's just because I was born in East Oakland. And I know it don't sound like I was born in East Oakland, but I was born in East Oakland, okay? I, I'm just, I just talk like I talk. But what I'm saying is there's that part of me that just loves, I mean, it just... I could easily, I, I could, if I was in the world, I would have a whole, I would have a, a vast library of it. And it would be constantly going in my house all the time. But the problem is, whatever I like, this is the kind of person I am. Whatever I like, if I listen to it and I like it, it's going to reverberate in my heart. Yes. Constantly. I don't have to try. I don't have to make it reverberate in my heart. Well, I can't allow anything to displace the melody to the Lord. I can't allow it. I'm going to sing and make melody in my heart to the Lord, and I need an immediacy of worship. 
Wherever I go, I want to hear songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So that, and, and if you hang out with me long enough, you'll hear me break out into worship and, and back off of it. Because it's always going in my heart, but once in a while I let it out of my mouth throughout the day. And on the street, I'm walking up the street like oil upon, I'm walking through San Francisco last week, like oil upon your feet and then realizing where I am. But I don't care. I'm still going to worship my God. Why? Because that is my foundational, that's the first level, the first strata, the first layer of intimacy with God. If you want to go deeper in intimacy with God and if you want to overcome the flesh, first of all, establish a baseline of worship in your heart to the Lord. Learn to let the song of the Lord turn over and over again in your heart. As just a baseline. Just keep worship playing in your house. It'll happen automatically. Keep worship playing in your car. Get you some good worship music. Go to YouTube and look up uh, one thing, 2013. Look up some Jay Thomas, some, you know, Misty Edwards, whatever. Who had John Thurlow, some, you know, some Hillsongs United, whatever whatever you like. Get you some worship and let it, get you some Fred Hammond. You know? Somebody, come on, get something. You know, and some Israel Houghton, you know, let it turn. Let it turn. Let it turn. Let it turn. Just listen to it and let it, so that baseline level of worship, let it roll. Second thing, you must have a scripture to stand on every day. You must, if I ask you at any time, what are you standing on right now? You better give me a scripture. I'm going to slap you right upside your No, I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I'm not slapping nobody. But you need a scripture. You need a verse. You need a verse. You need a verse of scripture. I don't know how to get one. We'll get on a daily devotional. Take the verse that I preach on on Sunday and make that verse your verse for the whole week. I meditate on one verse until the Lord gives me another one. The night before last, the Lord gave me Hebrews 10, 35 and 36. Do not cast away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you will inherit what is promised. And then last night, Rima walks up to me and goes, Pastor, I got a word for you. But the Lord told me to tell you Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. It says, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God. And I'm like, yes, I got that's it. That's the Lord. That's that's God. I know that's God because God gave me that verse last night. So I know it's God. So I'm going to stand on that verse till when till he gives me another one. And I'm not discarding this one. I'm keeping it there. But I always have a verse of scripture to just like you have worship constantly turning over and over again. You need to have scripture constantly turning over and over again. That second layer is the word of God. Now, what I find is that there's scripture people and there's worship people and there's worship people who don't know a lick of scripture. And there's scripture people who don't know a lick of worship. Couldn't sing a song, couldn't hold a tune. Listen, I don't care how, how well you sing. Worship is worship. It's in your heart. It's, nobody even has to hear it. It's in your heart. But you need a scripture and you need worship. You need those two things. Just, and you can do this without even taking any time. Just always have worship playing in the background. And get up in the morning, just get that verse. And just start meditating on that verse as you're shaving and brushing your teeth. You didn't have to take any time or... You know, you didn't have to take an hour and shun them about tight. You just, you know, those are just two things you just want to turn over and over in your heart. Third level of the furnace to really go deeper into the, into the furnace relationship with God is now you need to take some intentional time. That's where you need to set aside an hour. You've had the baseline going all day long. But now in the evening or early in the morning or at midday, whenever it is for you, you need to take some time to set everything aside and lock everything away and go into your prayer closet, your room, wherever it is. And you need to intentionally exert your energy in connecting with God. It's just like in any relationship. My wife wants me to have her on my mind at all times. Thinking about my wife. But she also wants me to take intentional time. This ain't my wife, by the way, but that, that's where my wife would normally be sitting. So my wife would, <laughs> I just, I just instinctive. Oh Lord, that ain't my wife. <laughs> the Lord wants me to take in my wife, my wife, the Lord, same thing. My, my wife, <laughs> sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> I'll be downstairs, but my wife be like, Benjamin. Yes, Lord. Uh, yes, honey. <laughs> Speak, Lord, your servant heareth. (laughs) All right. Intentional time with God. Intentional time with God is so necessary. 
If I talk to you and you are in the throes of discouragement and despair, I can almost guarantee you that you haven't done these three things. I can almost, I could almost just look you in the eye and say, you haven't prayed, have you? When was the last time you really prayed? I mean, really went into this place. You're not, you're not worshiping or one of the levels is missing. Because you try to go into that one hour of an intentional time with God, but you haven't been making melody in your heart to the Lord all day long, and you feel like you're further from Him than the east is from the west, and now you're going to spend about 45 minutes of that 47-minute time with God just trying to find His presence. Mm-hmm. And so that intentional time, but you need all three of those levels. Okay, That's the furnace. That's how you go deeper in personal intimacy with God. But you need to come out of the furnace and into the torch. And it starts with, first of all, corporate worship. The scripture says that we should sing and make, that we should speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That is finding someone. Listen, when you connect with other believers, your first level of fellowship with one another should be worship. Should be, I try to have worship playing in the background while I'm talking to you. So that we can be caught up in worship. I want us to have a moment where we turn our hearts to the Lord. And if I begin to share with you, you know, I like telling you, this is the song the Lord's laid on my heart. Have you heard this before? Like oil upon your feet. You know, and I want to sing. I'm going to just take a moment to sing that song. Because if we, if I can begin to bring to you the worship that I'm offering to God in the furnace. And you begin to bring to me the worship that you're offering to God in the furnace. All of a sudden we begin to experience the torch. And the second layer is the word. Taking the word that the Lord has given me in the furnace and beginning to share it with you, all of a sudden we begin to experience the torch. And then finally, corporate prayer. You need personal, individual, private prayer, and you need corporate prayer with the body of Christ. Let me tell you something. 99.9% of spiritual and emotional maladies could be immediately healed if every believer did these six things. There's stuff you just would never experience again. You see? And so God wants us to know Him as the fire pot, the smoking furnace, the place of deep intimacy with God. But how did Abram come to know Him in that way? He set out a sacrifice before the Lord. said, God, I'm here. If I starve to death in this place, I'm here till you come. If nothing ever happens as a result of it in my entire life, I'm going to stand here at this place. Part of that place for me is just being in Emeryville. I've had so many people say, it's not happening in Emeryville. Move the church to North Oakland. So no, God told me Emeryville. But you can't afford a building in Emeryville. I've had Christian real estate agents tell me, you're not going to find a building in Emeryville. It's not going to happen for you. And I look at them and say, I don't care what happens for me. I've got to be obedient to the word of the Lord. God told me to come to Emeryville, and by God, I'm not leaving until he says so. I've set out this sacrifice before the Lord, and I'm going to guard it. I'm going to guard it with my life. You've got to have that place in your life where you say, this is what God has asked of me. And you know what happens? Most believers in Jesus Christ never go deep with him. Because at some point they surrender to the buzzards. And they say, fine, take the sacrifice. And they watch the buzzards eat their sacrifice up. And a month later they come back to the Lord and the Lord says, let's do this thing. Go bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old she-goat, and a three-year-old ram. And you lay the sacrifice out again. You say, I'm going to do this thing. And sometime about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you get tired of fighting the buzzards. You say, go ahead, eat it. Sarah, you still got that chicken ready? That's That's how most believers live their entire lives. And you're still a believer. Don't get me wrong. You're still going to heaven. Abraham had relationship with God before this. He didn't need the co- this extra covenant thing. This isn't about him being right with God. God already said in, in verse 6, you're righteous. Yes. You're righteous. 
This was God moving him into the realm of fulfillment. See, most believers live in the realm of promise for their entire lives, but they never make it into the realm of fulfillment because they're not willing to stand guard over a sacrifice. Still going to heaven. Still a Christian, and for all intents and purposes, still a good Christian. It's not, a, it's not a guilt thing. It's not a condemnation thing where how dare you're such a poor Christian. That's not what it's about. I'm talking about know all the songs. Going to heaven could probably teach a discipleship class. That's fine. But there's stuff in your own life that you're waiting for God to fulfill. Amen. And you think you're waiting on God and God is standing at the place of covenant waiting for you. He's saying, I'm going to fulfill these promises. He's not a man. And the sad thing is, we let the buzzards eat our sacrifice, but then we accuse God of not being faithful. Well, God, you promised me this, but I guess you're not going to do it. No, you let the buzzards eat your sacrifice. I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it. How do you let the buzzards eat your sacrifice? You let the buzzards eat your sacrifice when you give in to anger. At the place where you're being tested. See, at every place where you're tested, you're standing guard over a sacrifice. At the place where you give in to lust. You say, well, you know, God will forgive me. I could come back to him a thousand times and he'll forgive me. He will forgive me. He will forgive me again and again and again. And I'm still a believer and I'm still going to heaven. And that's fine. But there's these unfulfilled promises that are hanging over my life. Because God is waiting for me to stand over my sacrifice and say, by God, the buzzards are not going to eat it this time. You say, but it's so hard and it doesn't seem to be working and I've spent my time with God and nothing seems to be moving. Yes, it gets darker and darker. It gets darker and darker and you got to face some dead things. But I'm telling you that if you stand at that place of sacrifice and say, God, I'm not moving until you come. And you stand there by faith. Not out of obligation. Well, God, I know nothing's going to happen, so I guess I better just stand here till I die. No, in faith, he is surely coming. As surely as the sun rises in the east, he'll come to us. See, you've got to learn how to stand watch with God. You've got to learn how to stand watch with God. You've got to learn. This is what God is speaking. We need a generation that knows how to stand watch with God. The prophet Habakkuk said, I will stand at my watch and see what the Lord my God will say to me. I'm going to stand at my watch. Every day I'm waking up, Lord, I'm standing at my watch. I'm standing, I'm being sober. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. You know what Jesus was about to, Jesus was saying to his disciples, the buzzards are coming to eat up your sacrifice, so you better watch and pray. You better, he wasn't saying, I need you for me. He was saying, no, you got to watch and pray, because you're about to enter into temptation. I already know what's coming, but you have no idea the darkness that you're going to have to walk through in a moment. So you be alert. You watch, you be alert, you be alert. Sometimes the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night and I've begun to learn. Pastor Daniels has taught me that I need to see that as a gift. When the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night, he's giving me an opportunity to watch. Lord, I'm alert. Lord, I'm awake. I'm awake because I don't know when the Lord's going to come stand at the door of my room and speak things to me that would make the ears of those who hear them tingle if they heard them. Things that people wouldn't believe even if somebody were to tell them. You never know when God says, ask me. It was 33 chapters before God spoke to Jeremiah and said, call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you did not know. See, we like to claim that on day one, but it was 33 chapters before God says to Jeremiah, now ask me. Now you ask me. See, we like to claim the individual promises of Scripture and think that they are all supposed to manifest on our behalf right now. And we don't understand that there is a timing and a context for every one of the promises. It doesn't mean that they're no. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. But there is a timing for them and a context. And we need to begin to pray, Lord, bring me into the context in which I can experience the fulfillment of this promise. And God wants to bring us to that place. So that we can stand and live there. Are you hearing me tonight? And how do we go there? We wait for the furnace. We learn how to tarry before the Lord. We learn how to wait. When you're waiting for God, even the wait is good. Even the wait is good. 
They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. I know sometimes you get tired in the midst of the wait because it seems like nothing is moving, but I'm telling you, you're going to renew your strength. You're going to rise up with wings as eagles. You're going to run and not be weary. You're going to walk and not faint. Even the wait is good because in the wait, he fits you for a better eternity. In the wait, he shapes you. In the wait, he forms you. In the wait, he prepares you for the land of fulfillment. In the wait, he gets you ready. You need the wait. The wait is for you just as much as the fulfillment is for you. The wait is important because you weren't ready when he first gave you the promise. That's why he gave it to you 10 years before he was ready to fulfill it. Because you needed that 10 years to grow and develop. You needed that wait. But when you're waiting in faith, even the wait is good. Even the wait is good. You know, when my wife is gone, and I told you this before, when my wife is gone, I'm going to end this now. When my wife goes out of town, I experience sheer freedom. For the first two days. Come on, I'm just keeping it real. There's been a lot of confessions tonight. Just telling on myself, singing like a canary. I told you about every sin I done ever committed. I feel free. Unencumbered. No late night commands bring me food. No backs to massage. Now Alethea wants me to massage her back. I'm like, you are way too young to be your mother. Or she's like, Daddy, scratch my back. It itches. I'm like, that's what your mother does. I miss her. I feel free for about two days. And then all of a sudden, I just start to miss her. Just starts us like missing her. And then the missing becomes a longing. And in the wait, that place where I'm, I'm waiting for her to come, day by day, counting the days, in the wait, I begin to realize what she means to me. I can't live my life without her. I, I, I don't know where I would be. And I start to think, I wish she was here so I could go get her some food at midnight. I wish she was here so I could rub her back right now. If she was here, I would rub the heck out of her back. And in the wait, I begin to realize how in certain places I've taken her for granted. I haven't understood how blessed I am. wait I get to work through some things that I can't work through when she's here I've had some powerful times with God during the wait I've had some come to Jesus moments during the wait where God's revealed things to me that made my marriage better when she got home things about me I've been confronted by God during the wait and what I find is that the wait seems long and hard and I've had times where I've said to myself when she gets back I'm telling her she's never traveling again not for the next five years. She's not going on another mission trip. I don't want to hear it. You ain't going. But then I know that's not going to last. And by the way, she won't go if I tell her not to go. She's not. The thing about my wife and I is that we are in mutual submission to one another when it comes to our calendar. I won't go if she says, baby, I don't want you to go. And she won't go if I say, baby, I don't want you to go. We both have to be in agreement that this is God. And so I, I don't want you to ever think that she just leaves us because she never leaves us. The Lord spoke to me when Alethea was six months old and said and promised me that never would she feel rejected, abandoned, or dejected because her mother and I travel. But the Lord promised me that he's given her a spirit of wisdom and understanding and that he would be with her. And you know, I've seen the Lord do that. We send videos back and forth to mommy while she's gone. But something happens in me during the wait. You know where I am right now, church? I'm standing over my sacrifice before the Lord. 
I could begin to tell you about some powerful encounters I've had with God throughout my life. God has met me again and again and again and again. But I'm at a place now where God has called me back to that place of covenant. And he says, I want a better sacrifice from you. So what am I doing right now? I'm standing at my watch. I'm standing at times beating off the buzzards. You know why I'm standing at my watch? Because I can feel you longing to go deeper with God. I can hear the cry in your hearts. And I understand the law of the lid. That you can't go any further than me. And if you did go further than me, you'd want to remove me. You would. So I know that for this house to go further, I got to go further. I'm speaking to you this message tonight because it's what the Lord is speaking to me. Remember when we first planted Living Hope Christian Center and God began to speak to me in December of 2003 and he said, Benjamin, you must fulfill your obedience before you can move into this next season of your life. And I began to cry out to God and ask him to show me what it was that I needed to do to fulfill my obedience. And on January 3rd, 2004, the day before we launched Living Hope Christian Center, the Lord reminded me that when I was 12 years old, listen to this, when I was 12 years old, there was a man in our church who had had a stroke. And the Lord told me when I was 12, go over to him, put your hand on him and pray for him. I said, God, I can't do that. I can't do that. And I wrestled with that word. I wrestled with that word for months. Every Sunday I'd go to church and the Lord would say, go over to that man, put your hand on him and pray for him. And I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I was scared. I was scared I was going to get in trouble. I was going to get rebuked. It was going to be out of order. I was all of these things. The Lord reminded me of that the day before we launched Living Hope. And the Lord said, go to that man's house right now. He lifted his hands and I laid my hands on him and I prayed. And suddenly I felt that my obedience had been fulfilled. And so when we launched Living Hope Christian Center the next morning, I felt the blessing of God on it. Now I'm in a new season in which God is saying, you want to go to the next level? Now it's time for your obedience to be complete. And I've been crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, show me how to fulfill my obedience now in this season. You know what the Lord did? He took me back to the first month. When we started Living Hope, I said, Lord, tell me what to do. Give me the strategy. And the Lord said, son, the only thing I require of you is that you pray. And that you make prayer your number one priority. I haven't been fully faithful in that church. I haven't. It's always been a priority, but not number one. Other things have gotten in the way of that. That was the sacrifice the Lord was expecting me to stand over. So now here I am. The Lord says, bring me that sacrifice. What sacrifice? The same one I asked for. Three-year-old heifer. asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what do I have to do to fulfill my obedience? And the Lord spoke to me again and said, son, as I said, the only thing I require of you is that you pray and that you make prayer your number one priority. I have promises of God that I am bearing over this house that have not been fulfilled in 10 years. And I don't want to be Abraham and go for 20. The fact of the matter is, the Lord will wait as long as he needs to. But he will bring you into alignment with the promise. I'm committing to you today that I'm going to stand over my sacrifice. I'm going to beat off the buzzards that come to consume it. 
I'm going to make prayer my number one priority and keep it that. And I'm going to endure. I'm going to do the will of God. I'm asking God for faith, the faith of Abel, to offer him a better offering. And I'm asking you to join me. I'm asking you to join me. God is ready to take us beyond the place of faith. Not outside of the realm of faith, but to a deeper level of faith. It begins with a faith that is without works, but it becomes a faith that bears fruit in many works. And what is the work? Offer your body. Give God you. Not with a knife. Give Him your heart in worship. Give Him your mind by meditating on the Word. Give Him your time by taking time to intentionally seek His face. Give Him your conversations with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Come to that place of corporate prayer. Seek His face. Stand over your sacrifice and watch God take you into the burning furnace, the smoking furnace burning torch. Let's pray.